0: Hi, this is Pastor Bob Yandian. Today we'll be talking about God's mission for the church. Today is number four. We're talking about the fact that there's a mediator. This was all part of God's plan for us to come to him. And the mediator has to be equal with both, God on one side, man on the other. We know him as Jesus Christ. Let's go to the word of God and find out even more today.
1: For more than 40 years, Bob Yandian has been an expositor of the Bible, making seemingly complicated doctrine easy to understand. Grab your Bible and something to take notes with and study the Word of God with Pastor Bob Yandian.
0: Hello and welcome again to Student of the Word with Pastor Bob Yandian. Great to have you here today. Today is number four in my teaching on God's mission for the church today and our part in it. So we've been taking up, in fact, we started in uh, Ephesians chapter 3, describing in verses 8 through 12, the plan that God had from before the foundation of the world. And he called this plan the mystery. Mystery is not something we don't understand. It's something they didn't understand in the Old Testament, but it's been revealed to us today. We know things Isaiah never dreamed of. Moses never heard of. Uh, Other ones that wrote books of the Old Testament, Jeremiah, they didn't know these things were coming. Daniel was one of them that didn't know it was coming. And so it was held in the heart of God. Only the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit even knew the church age was coming. But what they planned, and one of the things that's planned about the church age is, is that not only would we take the gospel to the world, but here's the other part. We would be invested with the same authority and power that Jesus operated in. Throughout the Old Testament, at certain times, he would let certain ones operate. But as soon as he put his hand on them, he could take his hand off of them. It has come upon us as the church to remain. Once we are born again, and then become filled with the Holy Spirit, and I mean manifested by speaking with tongues, When we receive that, God invests in us that power and authority to lay hands on the sick, cast out devils, and these, although we brag about them and we we revel in them, Jesus said, guys, in Luke chapter 10, don't get so excited about this. I was there when Satan fell. So I've given you authority over a fallen being. Understand something, he is a fallen being and he will never unfall. He will never come back to what he used to be. He's always gonna be a fallen being. And his eternity is bound up in two places. He's going to spend 1,000 years in hell during the time of the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. Then after that, he and all the demons, fallen angels and all unbelievers will spend all eternity in the lake of fire after that. But you have a plan in heaven. That's why he said in Luke chapter 10, in the closing in fact, let's go to that verse of scripture. Go to Luke chapter 10 with me. And let's take a look at verses 17 through 19. Here, you have 70 excited men that have been sent out by Jesus Christ, all jumping, shouting, probably patting each other on the back. Why? Because demons were subject to them. They've never heard of this, just human beings having authority over Satan. And in verse 17, the 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us through your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give unto you authority. Exousia is the Greek word. And it means authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. Serpents are big demons. Scorpions are little demons. And over all the power dunamis of the enemy and nothing shall by enemies hurt you. Nevertheless, don't rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you. Rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Don't Rejoice over temporary things and understand something too. I've given you authority, but I was there when he fell. He is a fallen being and has never got back up since that time. I saw him fall like lightning. It was bright, it was fast, it was over in no time, and bam, he hit the earth. And you know what? He's never got back up ever since. And Jesus also didn't get into it, but he was going to go and conquer him permanently on the cross and disable him permanently and then make a sentence over him. And that sentence was going to be that one day he would spend a thousand years in hell. And then after that eternity, he's going to spend in the lake of fire. And so that sentence has been passed down, but it has never actually come to pass. God has sentenced him and then the sentence is going to take place later. So Satan right now is between that place where he was sentenced and the sentence is going to actually come to pass. And right now he's on this earth. He's a fallen, being. He's a rebel, but he's got a future prepared for him by God. And then he goes on to tell these 70, but nevertheless, don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. Rather rejoice for something eternal." your names are written in heaven. And so let's talk about this now and what the word of God has to say about this. And what about what Paul had to say? Let's talk again about the mystery found in the word of God and uh, what God has planned for us. Again, the book that I'm talking about, that the things that we're talking about here in this was found in Ephesians chapter three. Again, we found this in verses one through 12 about what God's place for us in the body of Christ has been given. Paul sees himself in these verses of scripture, especially the book of Ephesians. And by the way, that's what I'm offering when halftime comes along. I'm gonna allow you to get the book and uh, they're gonna give you a place where you can call and you can get this book for yourself. Again, you'll be blessed by it. But Paul sees himself in this book of Ephesians as well as the other things that he has written, no longer as the chief of sinners, but now the least of all the saints. And he's looking at himself and he understands this. Whenever he was a sinner, he was on call all the time. Uh, If the Jerusalem Post ever needed to, to write something about what was going on among the Pharisees, he was the spokesman for everything. He was known everywhere. But now he no longer sees himself as the chief of all sinners. He sees himself as the least of all the saints. Here's the beauty of it. He was the most high-ranking sinner you could find on this earth, and now he's the lowest ranking of all the saints, but he still took a step up. I would rather be the underside of the toe in the body of Christ than to be the greatest sinner out there alive. Because why? He took a step up coming into the body of Christ. His responsibility, different than the other writers of the New Testament, was to enlighten all the church of their position in Christ that was never known or available before Jesus came. Old Testament saints, Old Testament priests, prophets did not know of our time period. Angels, Satan, nor demons knew the church age was coming. The apostles of Jesus didn't know the church age was coming. I imagine when Jesus said to them, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. They probably smiled and nodded, looked at each other and said, what's the church? I don't know. Never heard of it. He was talking about things that were wrapped up in the mystery, things they did not understand. But whenever they came down from the upper room on the day of Pentecost, they were going, huh? We're in a whole new time period. We're in a whole new dispensation. And now for 2,000 years, we've been living in that time period that angels desire to look into. The Bible says that angels today desire to look into the things that we do. They used to help instruct people. Now we're instructing angels and will throughout the entire church age. So the apostles of Jesus didn't know the church age was coming. Only the Father, only the Son, and the Holy Spirit knew of the plan for the church, which was created before the the foundation of the world. So the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had all this wrapped inside of themselves, and suddenly, when they revealed it on the day of Pentecost, Satan didn't know what to do. He had to call demons out of retirement. They were probably having a party whenever Jesus arose from the dead. That the fact he was gone, but now suddenly, in a split moment of time, 120 Jesus has walked down from the upper room. By the end of the day, 3,000 more were added to them. A few days later, 5,000 more were added to them, and by chapter. Chapter six, we've lost all numbers. It just kept on saying that the number of the disciples was multiplying daily. And all this came about because we have taken the place of the Lord Jesus Christ. We stand in his absence. And by his absence, we maintain almost every single ministry Jesus had. He was the mediator. We can be a mediator also. Jesus Christ was in this earth and he came as an ambassador. He went to heaven. Now we become ambassadors. Again, we can go down the list of things. We are not the savior of the world. Only Jesus is that. But in so many other things, we stand in his place once that he is gone. Well, first of all, let's talk about God's plan for a mediator. Why did God need a mediator? The mediatorship of Jesus Christ leads us right into the New Testament because in essence, we also stand as a mediator between sinners and God for the area of salvation. We can't save them, but we become the contact like Jesus was in this earth that if they want to go to heaven, he's not going to come down here and talk to them. He sends us out to do it. My son works for an insurance company. And uh, he goes into homes and talks to people about insurance. He also has investment plans and things like that. But when he's talking to these people, if they finally say at the end, we want that plan, he slides a piece of paper over to them. They sign that, and he, in essence, represents the company. They don't have to have the president of the company come to their house because why? My son in law is the representative for the company. When Jesus left, He turned that over to us. And we now stand in that place that when a person wants to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, I can speak for heaven. I can speak for Jesus. I can tell them the moment they receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, you are now a child of God. You have now been accepted into the family. You might hear somebody say, how dare you say that, you arrogant thing. It's not arrogance. It's something that God gave me. He told me I'm to go in and stand in the place of Jesus Christ and minister to them Bob can't save them, but the moment they accept Jesus, I can tell them Jesus has accepted them. I now stand because they've given that authority over to me. My son-in-law has that authority for his insurance company. And when people do that, he is the guarantee right there when they sign and he signs right underneath it, that now they had that insurance. Whether or not they can see it, whether or not they know they have it or not fully, it's been granted to them at that exact moment that they both signed that sheet of paper. Jesus signed and then left for heaven. And when you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, you sign. And now you've accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. You are now part of the family of God. You are now a priest before your great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. You are a member of the church, a member of the body of Christ, and we could go down the list of things that happened to you the very instant. You received Jesus as savior and Jesus didn't have to come down from heaven, get off the throne and come and visit you and say, everything's okay. Bob can say that to them because why? I stand in Jesus' place. This is the power of the New Testament. This is the power of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this particular time period, this particular dispensation we live in, which is the dispensation of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. God started out with a mediator between God and man. And that's the man, Jesus Christ. Jesus worked in this earth as the mediator. He still in heaven is the mediator between God and man. But on earth, Bob takes his place. And other Christians take his place. And the moment you're saved, God turns responsibility over to you to take the gospel into all the world. He doesn't come and do it. Angels don't come and do it. It's been turned over to you. What a responsibility we have. But he not only gives me the responsibility, he gives me the power and the authority to handle it. That's my place in the body of Christ. So Jesus Christ became the mediator for us. We're gonna talk about this when we come back from the break. What is a mediator? He stands in between two parties and unites the two impossibilities together. And the two impossibilities is a righteous God on one side and a fallen man on the other. And God can have no contact with them and they can have no contact with God. But a mediator stands between them, puts his hand on both and brings the two impossibilities together. Oh, the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. I will see you right after the break.
1: Ephesus was famous for reckless living and idol worship. Even so, the Ephesian church was deeply spiritual. Unlike other letters correcting error, Paul's letter to the Ephesians revealed to mature believers both the truth of who they are in Christ and the practical application of this revelation to their marriages, families, and everyday lives. Bobby Indian's New Testament commentary on Ephesians ties in Greek word studies and scriptural references revealing God's empowering grace and the unprecedented authority of every believer as part of the body of Christ on earth. To order the New Testament commentary on Ephesians, visit our website at bobyandian.com. Understanding the end times, one of the most incredible and fascinating doctrines in the Word of God, will bring us comfort for the days in which we live. The Bible says we are to encourage and exhort one another with the knowledge of Jesus returning for His saints. In Understanding the End Times, Pastor Bob Yandian provides a thorough and exciting study to give you more revelation of these times in which we live. Topics include The Seven Dispensations, The Dispensation of the Mystery, The Rapture of the Church, The Judgment Seat of Christ, Daniel's Seventy Weeks, the Temple Discourse, the Tribulation, the Second Coming, the Millennial Reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. To order Understanding the End Times, visit bobyandian.com. Bob Yandian Ministries is training up a new generation in the Word of God. Because of your generosity and faithfulness, this teaching ministry is able to change countless lives.
0: Turn with me to Job chapter 9. We're going to take a look at verses 1 through 4. Then we're going to jump down from there and go down to verse 32 and verse 33. In Job chapter 9, Job is facing this moment And uh, we know that Job went through a lot of problems. By the time the chapter nine came along, he's swimming in problems and he doesn't quite know what to do. And he, he suddenly comes to this point, he starts looking at God like, oh, you're just playing games with me, aren't you? You know that you're a righteous God. You know that I'm a fallen man. You know that you're perfect. You know that I'm not. You know, in fact, let's take a look at verses one through three. It said, then Job answered and said, speaking to God, truly I know it is so, but how can a man be just with a righteous God. How can a man be righteous in front of God? If one, that's me or anybody else, if one wished to contend with him, he could not answer him one time out of a thousand. What is Job saying here? Job is simply saying this, you know, God, you're just having fun with me. You're just prodding me. You know that I'm a fallen man. You know that I don't know everything. And you know that you're a righteous God. And you also know that you know everything. and. Uh, In fact, look with me at verse 32. This is where we're going to jump down to. The problem here is this what is the problem between me and God? He's God, I'm a man. Verse 32, for he is not a man as I am, that I may answer him and that we should go to court together, nor is there any mediator, your King James calls him a daysman. nor is there any mediator between us who may lay his hand on us both. Here's the problem. You're a righteous God, you know everything. And uh, in fact, in these verses of scripture, we're even told this in verse four, back in the, he said, if God would ask me a thousand questions, I wouldn't know any answer. If God asked me a thousand questions, he has at least that many that I don't even know where in the world I would even start to tell you, Lord, what the answers are. And so he said, you were here when the universe started. You were here before all that. You never had a beginning. You know the answer to everything. And I don't know much. So it would be easy for you to look at me and it would be easy for me to look stupid in front of such a righteous and an all-knowing God. But here's the problem. He said in verse 32, here's the answer. We didn't even know he was quoting an answer. In verse 32, he is not a man as I am. I am fallen man. And he understood this. Job understood he was a fallen man. He's not a man like I am that I may answer him and that we should go to court together. Verse 33, nor is there any mediator between us who may lay his hand on us both. God is so righteous, I am so fallen. And there's this big gap between us. He's in heaven, I'm on earth. He's surrounded by righteousness. I'm surrounded by unrighteousness. I am unrighteous in myself. My friends are unrighteous. You have all the support of the angels in heaven. I have no support down here. My wife's against me. My friends are against me. My friends are telling me just, you know, forget about God. My wife even told me, curse God and die. I'm by myself. And he says, the problem is you're righteous in heaven. I'm on earth. He says, I just wish there was somebody between us called a mediator that could lay one hand on God and one lay one hand on me and bring these two impossibilities together because righteous God and fallen man could never get together. Why? I can't even touch righteousness and you can't touch sin. You can't become me because I'm sinful. I can't become you because I'm sinful and I can't be as righteous as you. It's an impossible situation for God and man to get together. Uh Uh-uh. Verse 33 says it, neither is there a mediator between us, but here's the point. Yes, there is a mediator between us. We have someone who is equal with God and equal with man that can bring the two impossibilities together, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. The issue is not the fact that God was all just smarter. He's righteous and we are not. And there seemed to be no mediator equal to both sides who could lay his hand on both and pull the two impossibilities together. But here's the point. You know, my dad worked for uh, uh, an organization, American Airlines in Tulsa for years. And they had a union. And so if there was always this big argument going on between management and the employees, the union would come in and try to lay their hands on both. I'm not a big union man. I'm not a big supporter of unions, but my dad loved the union. And the fact that they could come in and bring the two together. And they always looked for compromise. Well, Jesus couldn't look for compromise because God couldn't compromise and became a little bit of a sinner. And man couldn't compromise and become a little bit righteous because why? It's impossible for both to do that. It looked like it was impossible for God and man to come together until Jesus Christ came along. And Jesus Christ became the God-man. Jesus Christ, the God-man, united God and man together. He put one hand on God because he is God. He put the other hand on man because he is man. And he brought the two together. Here's the point. Man needed someone to become God. God needed someone to become man. And Jesus Christ became that. Jesus Christ was not 50% God and 50% man. He was 100% God and 100% man. He was the God man. And because of that, because of the righteousness that was in him, he was as righteous as God, but he was not a fallen man. Therefore he could bring the two together. Because he was human, we could identify with him. Because he was perfectly righteous as a human being, God could identify with him. And so Jesus Christ did what no other person could do. In fact, in the Old Testament, we are told in the book of Galatians and in the Old Testament, that Moses was the mediator between the nation of Israel and God. Why is that not good? Well, it's good because at least he was a mediator, could bring the two together. But the point of it was, even Moses was a fallen man. He walked in more righteousness than most people around him, but he was still a fallen man. He he appropriated the promises of God, walked in the power of the Holy Spirit and all this and lived a good life, but even, even he sinned. There was times he sinned when he first got saved and then later on uh, we know he's the one that uh, whenever God was approaching the nation back there that he actually hit the rock and hit the rock twice when he should have spoken to the rock and because that he didn't get to go in the promised land so he's still dealing with a fallen man. But Jesus Christ came and from even his his birth, he was not born As the result of a man and a woman having sexual relations with each other, he became born because God placed the seed inside of a virgin, a woman. And through that, Jesus Christ came without the barrier of sin in his life. He was not a fallen being. He entered into this earth like Adam. In fact, the Bible calls him the last Adam. Where the first Adam failed, the last Adam, Jesus did not fail. And where Adam was supposed to bring all mankind into relationship with God, he failed. Jesus Christ picked it up and Jesus Christ did what Adam could not do and did not do. Again, we can identify with Jesus Christ because he's a human being, but he's a perfect human being. God can identify with Jesus Christ because why? He's a perfect human being. The fact that he was human, I can identify with him. The fact that he was perfect, And in his birth, in his life, and in his death, and in everything, he never sinned, tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin, God can identify with him. And Jesus Christ puts one hand on God, one hand on man, and unites the two together. 100% God, 100% man. When I was growing up and a teenager, I would go to Youth for Christ, And they uh, taught us how to witness in this, but they had the thing called the four spiritual laws. Some of you might remember that if you were raised in church and a numbers of years ago, many years ago, there's a little pamphlet, had four pages on it. It was called the four spiritual laws on each little page of this pamphlet. You hope to have taught a person how to receive Jesus. And here's what it showed. It showed man on one side and God on the other and Jesus Christ uniting the two together. But here's what it showed. It showed the cross as the barrier between God and man. And that way now man could cross over to God's side and God could cross over to man's side because of the cross. And it showed this barrier between God and man was sin and that the cross covered sin and we could go back and forth. In other words, it showed that sin was still there. The cross just simply became a uh, bridge between God and man. That's not the way it happened. Jesus Christ didn't build a bridge across sin. He abolished sin. He became sin and then destroyed it to where sin is no longer the barrier between God and man. Jesus Christ became sin, so now Jesus Christ is the barrier between God and man. It's not what I've done or have not done. It's not because of of who I am and all this stuff and my fallen being, it has nothing to do with that anymore. When Jesus Christ arose from the dead, the barrier between God and man, the old barrier had been abolished because Jesus Jesus Christ became the barrier. He became sin. And now the only barrier between man and God is what are you going to do with Jesus Christ? Notice when the Philippian jailer said, what must I do to be saved? Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. What stands between you today if you've never accepted Jesus and God himself is not your sins, not the evil you've committed, not the terrible person you have been. None of that stands between you and God because Jesus Christ became it. You cannot name a sin that Jesus Christ did not become. He became sin for you and he united uh, one side with the other. And the only thing that stands between you and eternal life is what are you gonna do with Jesus Christ? When you go to heaven, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ, you'll stand before the great white throne judgment and there give an account of yourself. And you're probably gonna wanna name all the things that you've done that were good. And God's gonna say, yeah, you did that, but that won't get you into heaven. Your sins that you've committed will not send you to hell and the good life you have lived will not get you into heaven. There's just one thing that can get you into heaven. Have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? That's it. And the Philippian jailer said, I believe in Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what happened was he received Jesus that day and became a child of God. So the whole essence of witnessing today is not to... to tell a person about all the good they've done or how bad they've done, that God's holding the bad stuff against them. No, Jesus went to the cross and took all of that. The only thing separating them from eternal life is their attitude toward Jesus. I like to think of it this way. Jesus Christ took every sin we've ever committed except for one. And that one sin he did not take on himself was our rejection of Jesus Christ. And he leaves that one to us. He judged homosexuality. He judged lying. He judged stealing. All the things you might've done in your life bad, and you know, the things that how you've oh, you know turned against people, people turned against you and you reacted against them. All the things you've ever done wrong in your life, Jesus took except for one thing. And he leaves that for you to judge. And that's today when you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If God would have taken that sin and Jesus would have taken that sin on the cross, then everybody would be automatically saved. But he left that one for you to judge. And it's the only thing that keeps you out of heaven. Those names, not found written in the book of life, were cast into the lake of fire. And that will be you if you don't accept Jesus. But today you have an opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you've never done that, why don't you just open up your heart right now and just simply say to God, Father, I've blown it. I've tried to run my life all these years and I just can't do it. I now open up my life and accept Jesus Christ not only as my Savior, I accept him as the Lord of my life and I turned my life completely over to him. Thank you for receiving me in Jesus' name. And at that moment, you become a child of God. And and your separation between you and God is gone. The mediator has made you one with God. I'll see you tomorrow.
1: You can order resources, become a partner, or browse free articles and podcasts by visiting our website at bobyandian.com.